0: So we are continuing our series that we're calling Disciple, trying to uh, see what does it mean to be a disciple in, in the modern age, 2014 in Minnesota. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you have to wear sandals and you know walk around in the desert and have a big stick and hit sheep and stuff like that. That's not what it means to be a disciple. There's other things that that means for today's world. So we've been trying to figure that out and see what it is, dispelling the myth. That there is a difference between a disciple and a Christian. There's just one thing, and that is the followers of Christ. In the in the scriptures, the disciples are called Christians. There's not two groups of people. Those are like inherited by their family line a belief system, and but they don't really take it very seriously, and they don't really pay attention to any of it. And but they're Christians, and then there are the disciples who are, you know. Really on fire for Christ and doing the doing the stuff. You know, it's not like there's two groups. There's only one group. There's the followers of Christ, which are the disciples, which are the Christians. The disciples of Christ, I should say, followers of Christ are Christians. And so uh, it can be kind of hard to sort through what is the stuff that is the stuff of God, the stuff of a disciple. Um, and we read Matthew 28. 18 through 20 to see what it means to be a disciple. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus was saying, go make disciples, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to baptize them. They're going to make a public confession. They're going to stand before a group of people, and they're going to be seen choosing Christ. They're going to make a public confession. That's at their baptism. And then you're going to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So that's what it means to go and make disciples. Go have them make a choice, a public confession, and then teach them to obey What Jesus taught. That's how you make disciples. That's the process. Now, there's more going on than that in this world and in the church world. We talked about church culture. And that's just following the ways of man. In Mark 7, 7 and 8, Jesus warns us about church culture. And here's what he says there. They worship me in vain. I just don't like reading that. Did you know it's possible to worship the Lord in vain? To have a relationship with church, but not have a relationship with God? You can worship Him in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. We talked about how this doesn't necessarily mean fancy high church traditions. It could be any type of church traditions. In uh, in our type of churches, all the pastors have to wear pants like this, right? You got to have the little. Uh, Trinette got me these. I used to wear the carpenter pants, and she's like, "Dude, you don't look good in carpenter pants." I'm like, "But they got the phone pocket. I know where my phone is now." It's I don't know where my phone is. And she's like, "No, man, you can't wear carpenter pants anymore. They're just not. They're no good." I'm like, "Okay." So I got these pants, and so now I'm cool, and I fit in with everybody. And, but. Does God care what kind of pants I'm wearing? No, He doesn't care at all. He's not interested in these pants. The but you know you go to churches like ours. You got the fancy button shirts with the the what it, embroidery on them, and you got these kind of pants, and they've usually got some weird shoes. She wanted to get me bowling shoes. She's like, you should wear bowling shoes to church. That'd be really cool. I'm like, I don't know, man. That seems weird, but. It's okay to wear bowling shoes to church. That's okay. But if you get upset if people don't, or if you get upset if people do, then you're just all worried about church culture and the traditions of men. God does not care about what shoes you're wearing uh, and what pants you're wearing and that sort of a thing. So that's just church culture stuff. And that's different from the ways of God. Then we talked about itching ears in 2 Timothy 4.3. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, "For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So this is not talking about the ways of God, and it 's not really talking about church culture necessarily it 's talking about personal preferences and people seeking after their personal preferences and getting what they want, both stylistically and theologically. People want what they want. Do you think this is true for today? For uh, American Christianity? Do we, I forget how many denominations there were. When I first became a Christian, there were 600 different denominations in the United States. Now I think there's like a 1,000 or something. I mean, it, there's a lot. And my first thought was, well, 600 different groups and they all disagree with each other? So at the very most... 599 of them are wrong, and one is right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure 600 of them are wrong. You know, like, if that's going to be that lopsided, it's just ridiculous. So There's all these different groups, so we can go wherever we want to hear what we want, to find what we want, to get the music we want, to get the teachings we want, to get the things we want. But that can just be itching ears if the things that are being taught aren't the ways of God. And so... We want to watch out for itching ears. We want to evaluate, is this just something I like? Is it something that's my preference? Or is it really a thing from God? And then we talked about the fourth category, which is ferocious wolves. So within the church, we've got the ways of God. We've got church culture. We've got itching ears, the ways of preference. And then we've got the ways of darkness. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Why would Jesus warn us to watch out for false prophets? Because there are some. Right? Watch out for false prophets. Now that's different from somebody who's trying their best and maybe making a mistake from time to time. You know, because I would put myself in the category of people who are trying but make a mistake from time to time. That doesn't make me a a ferocious wolf. It just makes me somebody who's imperfect. And I think we've got a a nice group of people that are like that. So hallelujah, good company. Um, But sometimes people can come to church and instead of finding the light of Christ, they find darker things. They find some icky things. And so we need to be careful about that. We need to realize that's real. There are the things of darkness even in the Christian world, in Christian circles. So last time we talked about commitment. What level of commitment does our Lord deserve from His disciples? I believe our Lord deserves full, all in commitment from His people. Amen? Amen. We talked about that this week. We are going to talk about faith versus works, faith versus deeds. We're going to try to get to the bottom of how do we know we're saved? Is it because we've got the right beliefs or is it because we're doing the right things and how can we understand all of that stuff um, so let's pray heavenly father I thank you for this day I thank you for your grace and mercy I thank you father that you do guide us by your word and you do guide us by your spirit that we don't have to just wander around and do the best we can but we can seek you and we can find you we can read your truth from your word and we can we can pray and ask you questions, and you will guide us, Lord. What an amazing blessing that is! Help us today to find your truth, to see what you've got for us. Help us to grow in you and take one more step forward in serving you better. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So, what do we need to do in order to have salvation? Because don't we want to be saved? We want to. We want to have salvation. We are going to talk about faith versus works, faith versus deeds. Alright, just a few questions as we get our preliminary work done here. Is there a different code of conduct for the believer versus the unbeliever? Is there a different code of conduct for the believer versus the unbeliever? I would say there is. Shouldn't? Shouldn't we expect Christians to act in a particular way? Like, for example, are Christians supposed to lie? No. So the code of conduct would be, if you're a believer, don't lie. How about stealing? Should Christians be doing lots of stealing? No. How about sneaking up behind people and punching them in the back of the head? Should we do that? No, we shouldn't do that. How about just saying mean things to people? No, all those things are outside of the code of conduct. So there is a different code of conduct for the believer. Now here's the next question. Can you, by your actions, earn your salvation? So, is there anything I can do? Like, I mean, no matter how much I tell the truth, no matter how nice I am to people, uh, no, no matter uh, how much I give, I can't earn my salvation, right? I just get that free from God and none of that other stuff even matters. So I just go to heaven for believing, but then why do I have to do all the stuff? Because if I can't earn my salvation, if it just comes from me believing, why don't I just believe and I'll just forget that other stuff? What is going on here? You guys told me there was a different code of conduct. Are you sure? Okay, you're sure about that. Are you sure that you, by your actions you cannot earn your salvation? Okay, we can't earn our salvation. So where are we going to go from here? You know, there are groups of people, and in, in today's culture, in, in Western culture for sure, generally speaking, we understand you cannot earn your salvation through works. However, we do occasionally get hung up in that. You know, where that starts to happen, where people start to worry about if they've done the right religious things in order to be saved. Um, and there's also the people who are like the video, who just, there is no conduct change. There is no attempt to live out this other code of conduct, this believer, this disciple code of conduct. They're just going to live their life the way they want to, and hopefully they got enough faith to go to heaven. That's just kind of what they're figuring out. So you got kind of both of those two extremes. We'll talk about those a little bit later. Uh, we've got the Galatian misconception is the first one, and the Corinthian misconception is the second one. Let's look at some scriptures, see what Jesus has to say, on this particular topic, and then we'll look at some other New Testament scriptures to see what uh, other people, Paul, uh, Peter, people like that, have to say. So we're going to start in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 17 through 20, and let's see what Jesus has to say about the relationship between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the believer, and the law. Here's what he says, Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were they good at following the rules? Yeah, they were, they took it to the nth degree. I mean, they, they missed the force for the trees, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, they followed the rules, but they missed God. But they followed the rules. I heard, I, I heard different people talk about how they used to do it in Jesus' day. And, uh, did you know, like, on the Sabbath, you couldn't write anything down, because writing something down would be considered work, so you couldn't write stuff down. Um, but what if you accidentally made a mark that was a letter? Is that, have you now broken the Sabbath? You know what I mean? Like, you, you skip your foot, and it's, oh, it's in the sand, it's an eye, that's a, that's a letter, that's a word, you just worked. Sabbath Breaker! You know, like, ah! you know. So they had to try to figure out, where is the line? And what they determined was, you could make up to three letters on a Sabbath, as long as they didn't make a word. So, that was where the line was. You could accidentally make up to three letters. Anything more than that, you're in trouble, and if those letters made a word, boof, you're in real trouble. So they had it all figured out, down to the smallest detail. And so, Jesus says... That's not good enough. Unless your righteousness is is greater than those guys who are so hyper-specific, you're not even going to get in. Put that verse back up there. uh, The last part uh, where he's talking about the Pharisees and how if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Is not enter the kingdom of heaven a bad thing? Yeah, we want to avoid not entering. We want to enter. You know, people ask me questions about hell. I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to find out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's bad. Just get on the other side. You know, let's, let's enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, we have to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Man. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So do you think that would lead people into following all the rules to earn their salvation? Hmm. Well, you know what? There was a whole group of people that in that day, they followed the rules in try to, to try to earn their salvation. In fact, what they said was, if somebody who's not Jewish becomes a believer in Christ, they have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. So they had to convert to Judaism, and then from Judaism become a Messianic Jew, and be part of the sect called the Way. So they they said they had to go through that. And we see a big discussion about that in Acts chapter 15. And the people who were saying that this needed to happen, they were talking in verse 5, Acts 15, 5. They said, uh, here's how it goes, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised, and required to obey the law of Moses, and we're not going to read that, but if you read verse 1 of chapter 15, they were saying, or they're not saved, or they go to hell. They can believe, they can trust in Jesus, that's fine, but they had better follow the law of Moses, or they're not going to heaven." And so they called a big meeting, and they were going to discuss, how do we we understand this? Do the... Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, need to convert to Judaism, follow all the rules of Judaism so that they can then become Christians and have faith in Christ. They had a big discussion, trying to figure it all out. Peter was at that meeting, and here's what Peter had to say, Acts 15, starting in verse 7. There it is. After much discussion, so this was a big meeting. Isn't that amazing? Big me, everybody, they're there, they're talking about this issue. Do people need to convert to Judaism in order to become Christians? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter says it is by grace we are saved, not just the Gentile, but the Jew as well. We are saved by grace. So you don't need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Is what Peter said. Is that consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five? I mean, is it? He said, not the least stroke of a pen, not the littlest bitty thing is gonna come out of the law till the heaven and earth disappear. And here Peter goes, Ah, we hadn't been able to do it, let's not make them do it. It's no big deal. We just we're saved by grace, man. Is that consistent? Huh. If I had more time, I would tell you what fulfillment of the law means. He fulfills the law. That's a, boy, is that a key in understanding that passage, but you're not going to get the fullness of that today. We're going to talk about some other stuff. The whole point of this is there are some teachings in the Scriptures that can make you think, oh man, I'd better follow these rules or I'm going to hell. So i better follow these rules. It's not really about faith and grace and and the kindness of God. It's about me doing what I need to do to follow the right rules. Some people get pulled into that. Then let's read John 6, 26-29. through 29. This is Jesus teaching again. And in this passage, people ask him, what do we got to do, man? What do we got to do? Isn't that a great question to ask Jesus? I think when you ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? And He gives you an answer. You listen. Here they say, okay, what rules do we have to follow? And He tells you. Here we go. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked Him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Isn't that the question we're asking today? What do we need to do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Doesn't that seem different from Matthew 5? He's just saying, just believe, man. You want to do the work? The work is believe in the one he has sent. They were asking, what deeds do we need to do? What works do we need to accomplish in order to. Be part of this thing that you're talking about. How can we have eternal life? And he says, believe in the One He has sent. That is, believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Hallelujah. Let's read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, can you get more straightforward that it's not us earning our salvation? This is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not by works. I can't boast. I can't earn it. <sighs> I just receive it. I've been saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. So, does that mean I don't have to follow the code of conduct. Because I'm saved by grace through faith, right? The code of conduct is a separate thing. I don't have to earn my salvation by following the code of conduct. Right? I just believe. Whatever that means. Might mean the thing the guy in the video was talking about. You know, just this really fluffy idea of faith. All right, so you can see how this can go too far into just nothingness. Like we're not following Christ anymore. We're just living our lives however. And Paul reacts against that in Romans 6.15. Romans 6.15, Paul says, Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. It's like, don't sin because you're not under law. What's the matter with you? He's like, he's saying, "Okay, yeah, you don't, you don't need to follow the law for your salvation, but don't be sinning, don't be doing that." So this is, isn't this a little bit like I'm not, you know, it's like going all these different directions. and i are sure we're going to try to pull this together. I'm trying to make this fairly simple so that we can understand what is being said here. Let's do the basic plan of salvation because that's an important thing. So. God is good. He's got a wonderful plan. And you can be part of that plan. In fact, His plan includes you. He thought of you. He made a way for you to be part of that. So God has a plan for an eternal kingdom. A kingdom that lasts forever, where there's no sin, no pain, no death. just perfect. That's way better than here. You know, He's got that plan. He wants you to be a part of it. Uh, however, in order to be a part of it, did I, did I, did I mention there's no sin there? All right. So, are there? Is anybody going to lie about you in heaven? Anybody going to take from you, steal from you in heaven? Anybody going to make fun of you in heaven? Anybody going to say something behind your back, like, "Oh yeah, big fancy guy, he thinks he is." It, is that going to happen in heaven? No. So, if you do any of that, can you be there? No, because if you're there, it's not going to be heaven anymore. Because people are going to be lied about, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be stolen from. There's going to be all these problems. So you don't get to go. Sin separates you from that. You don't belong because you'll wreck it. You don't get to go. All things associated with sin must be destroyed for heaven to be possible. So the wages of sin is death for just the eternal kingdom to be possible. Fortunately, So now we're all in trouble, right? Now we're, we're like, oh no. Uh, that's a problem for me because... I, I don't deserve to be there. I can't even fit in there. I don't, I would ruin it if I was there. What am I gonna do now? Well, fortunately, the wages of sin is death, but that penalty for sin, death, was taken by Jesus for us on the cross. So the penalty was paid. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. That our sin, which disqualifies us from the eternal kingdom of God, would be eradicated, wiped away, and we could belong and be part of that. What a wonderful, wonderful thing Jesus did for us. And so in order to access that forgiveness, we believe in Jesus. We believe in Him. We say, Lord, I believe in You. I believe that You died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and bring me into Your kingdom. And are you in? Boom, you're in. You're in. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You're in. But now what? What are you joining? What are you into now? What have you gone into now that you're in? Hmm. Alright, let's talk about the two major misconceptions and then we'll straighten that all out real nice. You ready for it to get straightened out real nice? Does it make sense? All right. So let's talk about the Galatian church and the Corinthian church just real quick. If you read the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he's telling them a bunch of things. Is he happy with them or unhappy with them? I'm just trying to find out if you know about the book of Galatians. Is he happy with them or is he unhappy with them? He's unhappy. Okay, so by the, the noise pole, I'll explain the situation. So what happened was Paul on his missionary journeys, so he went and he preached the gospel to the people in Galatia. And they're like, Yes, we believe. And they started to believe, and they started to of walk by faith, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they're walking with God, and then they started to get a little nervous. They're like, Well, I mean, we're believing, but maybe we do need to do all the Old Testament stuff. Maybe do we need to be circumcised and follow the law and, and make sure we have all the right feasts and all the right, all the right things happen? Maybe that needs to happen or we'll, we'll be lost. We'll be disqualified. We better do that. So then they tried to earn their salvation by imposing a religious structure onto all of the believers. And then they were, they were, if you follow all these rules, you do all the things the right way, then you go to him. And so Paul is like, guys, you started with the Spirit, now you're going to go to like dead religion? What's the matter with you? And he yells at him. He did yell at him. Another guy wrote it down. You know, Paul didn't write it down, somebody else did. He like dictated it. So he was, I'm sure he was yelling. <laughs> he yells at him, gets written down in the olden days, they had to do it that way. Take the scroll and read it to the Galatians. So they were getting too caught up in rules. In Corinth, on the other hand, which is another place where there was a, a church growing believers there, they got way too loose. I mean they were doing they were doing bad sin, you know what I mean like bad stuff is going on in Corinth, like stuff that, as it says, you know even the unbelievers won't do that, you know, and you guys are doing it. what's the matter, and you're all happy? yay, we're free in Christ, we can sin like just absolute, you know, they're just sinning like crazy. Because we're free in Christ, we're free from the curse of the law, we're going to just sin like crazy. And so Paul is like, guys, you need some rules. So when Paul yells at the Galatians, he's like, you need less rules. And when he yells at the Corinthians, he's like, you need more rules. And so... What did they do wrong? Well, in order to understand what they did wrong, let's ask this question. What do you get saved from, and what do you get saved to? Like, let's say that I'm on a ship out in the ocean, and the ship sinks, and now I'm floating in the ocean. I need to be saved, right? What do I need to be saved from? From drowning in the ocean. I need to be saved from the ocean. What do I need to be saved to? A lifeboat would be great. You know, uh, maybe a bigger boat you know that's not leaking you know i need to be saved from the ocean so that i don't die because the wages of being out in the ocean by yourself is death and I, and i need to be saved to a great big boat with food that's warm and happy and that sort of thing so it's not just getting saved from something i have to get saved to something so i need to get saved from what if i'm if i'm a person in this world. What do I need to get saved from? We talk about getting saved. What do you need to get saved from? Sin? You guys are more spiritual than the first service, man. They're like, hell, man! we got to get saved from hell! We don't want to be doomed! Like, that's true. That's true. We want to get saved from hell, right? We want to get saved from the wrath of God. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. And we, what do you get saved from? To, if you're getting saved from hell. You get saved to heaven. You get saved from destruction to eternal life. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible also says we get saved from sin. When you're getting saved from sin, what do you get saved to? So you're getting saved from sin. You're getting saved from being a liar. You get saved from hurting other people. You get saved from being selfish. What do you get saved to? Righteousness. So you get saved from being a liar to being someone who tells the truth you get saved from being a jerk of a husband to being a husband who loves his wife like Christ loves the church you get saved from a selfish person who takes and takes and takes to someone who has an abundance and shares and gives. You get saved from sin to righteousness. Now what the Corinthians got wrong was, they thought, okay, you get saved by righteousness. You don't get saved by righteousness, you get saved to righteousness. And what the Corinthians got wrong, was they thought, well, I'm going to get saved from the consequences of sin, but I want to keep living in sin. Like, no, you can't go from living in sin and then get saved to still living in sin. You don't get saved from sin to sin. You get saved from sin to righteousness. Now, let me ask you, I'm just going to, let's talk about the time frame here. So when I get saved, say, from the consequences of sin, if I get saved from hell, and I get saved to eternal life, to heaven, how long does it take to make that transition? I mean, like, is that something you work out with fear and trembling? You just ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven. But how about getting saved from sin to righteousness? Is that like an instantaneous, yep, righteous now, woo! You're perfectly forgiven, but guess what? You've got to work that out. You've got to work out your salvation from sin to righteousness because you might you might be the sort of person who gets nervous and then tells a lie. You just really want to tell people what they want to hear and so you lie to them. Well, is that in the in the disciple code of conduct? You're to, no, you're not supposed to do that. Do you now go to hell because you lied? You know, ask for forgiveness for that. But that's a process of going from Walking in the wrong ways to walking in the right ways. That's a process. And we've got we've to work that out. We've got to fight through that. Does so that make sense? We don't get saved through righteousness. We get saved to righteousness. We aren't saved because we do great things. But we are saved to doing great things. Did you know what's a blessing to be turned from your wicked ways? To use, <laughs> to use maybe some old-fashioned terminology that's in the Bible. Turned from your wicked ways. What a blessing it is to be turned from being a bad husband to being a good husband. What a blessing it is to be turned from being a bad friend who introduces people to bad things to being a good friend who helps and rescues and strengthens others. What a blessing it is to be that person instead of the person who brings destruction to this world. That's stated in Acts 3.26. Our God wants to bless us in that way. When God raised up His servant, that's Jesus, He sent Him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. It is a blessing to be saved from sin and brought into righteousness. It is a blessing to be saved from doing bad stuff to doing good stuff. That's a blessing. Last question before we close. What does a disciple sign up for? But life, that's the commitment. You're signing up for the long haul, man. What are you signing up to do? Follow the religious rules? Serve God? You're signing up for the team, right? I mean, you're, you're joining in. You're signing up to follow Jesus. Jesus called me and said, come follow me. In order to be able to follow Him, we need to be forgiven, we need to be brought into that right relationship with Him, and then we need to follow Him. We're signing up for purpose. We're signing up for victory. We're signing up to serve the living God. We're not signing up to keep mired in sin. We're not signing up to switch over to religious rules. We're signing up to be servants of the living God. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. Come on down, prayer team. Ephesians 2, we're going to read the whole context of that thing that that talked about being uh, saved by grace through faith, starting at the beginning of the chapter here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So when we go from death to life, it's talking about now. Living a life that's dead versus living a, a a, life that's life-giving. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. So, it, am I here because I've lived a perfect life? All of us. That was true then, it's true now. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Isn't it great that God wants to prove how kind He is by being kind to us? Hallelujah for that. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So our salvation is not by works. But why were we created? Why were we created? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. We are not saved by having a purpose in Christ. We are saved to having a purpose in Christ. So, We receive the forgiveness of God, the salvation from God. It's a free gift that we can't earn. But what are we saved to? We're saved to a life of following Christ. And so we want to live that to the best of our ability. When we trip and fall, he picks us up. Hallelujah for that. But we wanna we wanna get in the lifeboat and be saved to Good works. I'm going to close in prayer. I've got the prayer team up here. If you've got a prayer need, if you're not quite sure if your sins are forgiven, you need to come and pray with the prayer team. Because that can be a a sealed, done deal this morning. You can be completely forgiven, perfectly forgiven in Christ. And then work out your salvation as you go from uh, wicked ways into righteousness. If you've got any other kind of prayer need, if you've got a a physical issue you need prayer for, come on down, receive prayer for that. you've got a relational need, you need prayer for, a financial need, whatever it is, the prayer team will pray that we believe in God with you to see a breakthrough. So let's close this morning, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness that you are demonstrating to the universe by being kind to us, by giving us something we don't deserve. We don't pretend to earn that. But let us walk in what you saved us to. Let us walk in the calling, the purpose, the abundant life that you have for us. We know we can't earn our salvation. We can't deserve it. But we can walk in your ways. We can follow you. We can choose to go with you. So bless us in that way. Help us to go with you. I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Lord, let your light shine in our hearts. For those who are coming down for prayer, I pray a special uh, touch from you upon them. Oh, Lord, give them the courage to come on down and receive some good prayer. And Lord, for those who are departing, just your peace be with them. And Lord, let them uh, say hi to somebody they don't know and encourage them in the Lord. So bless us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great day. Again, say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord today.